Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 14. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For the For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. All that time many will fall away. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Amen. Lord, we just pray for Debbie as she comes, Lord, that you would fill her with your spirit. Lord Jesus, you would give her um, revelation uh, on her feet, as it were, as she looks at these verses with us. Lord Jesus, bring the truth that you want for our hearts this morning out of these passages, we pray. Just bless Debbie as she does it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. It's kind of a meaty passage, isn't it? This morning, it's a very sobering, sobering passage, sobering words, but they are words of Jesus, and that means that they've got life in them. And that's my prayer that for us today, that as we feed on these words of Jesus, that they will bring life to us and strength to us for the time that we live in. It's not easy, I wonder if you agree with me, it's not easy living in an overlap of times and kingdoms. Did you know that we live in an overlap of kingdoms? Do you know what I mean by that? You know, we have Jesus and his kingdom broken in to our earthly realms because Jesus came to earth and he died and he rose again and he went back to the Father and he poured out his Holy Spirit and we can know the power of that Holy Spirit filling our lives, giving us blessing, um, creating healing amongst us, giving us restoration, forgiveness, giving us the experience of relationships together that bring life and joy and blessing. And we can know those things and we experience them. That is the kingdom now. But we also have a kingdom not yet. The fullness 
of all of that goodness and joy and blessing that is only going to come in completion and in fullness when Jesus comes again in glory one day in the future. And so you and I, we live in attention. We live in an overlap. We live with the difficulty of a kingdom that is now and we do know it and we do taste it and we do receive from it but also a kingdom that is not yet here in its fullness. And that means that there'll be times when we pray for somebody else and they get blessed and they get healed and then we pray for ourselves and it doesn't seem to happen. And we've got to live with that tension, that overlap. I was thinking there's many great heroes of the faith that we could look to who've walked before us. Think about somebody, I was thinking about somebody like Smith Wigglesworth great evangelist, great healing evangelist in the 20th century who went about and saw mighty, mighty miracles by the power of God. But you know, his own wife, whom he loved very dearly, she died unexpectedly. He tried to raise her from the dead. He'd seen others raised from the dead. She didn't come back because we live in an overlap. We have a kingdom that is very much now, but the fullness of it, the completion is yet to come. And these verses that we're looking at today are going to help us. If you, like me, have ever been feeling, perhaps you're feeling right at this moment, I feel that many of us in this room actually are feeling the tension of living in the overlap. There are things we know the Lord wants to do, but we haven't quite seen it all break in yet. If you're in that place this morning, these words of Jesus, they've got something to say to us. Because they speak to us about how to live in the overlap. Because you see, our story here with Jesus happens in an in-between kind of time. In an overlap of two hugely significant eras, actually, historically and spiritually and theologically and practically. For those who lived at the time of this story that we've just heard read, there was an overlap, there was an in-between time. And Jesus has just, in chapter 23, as we've been hearing about in the last couple of weeks, he's just denounced and exposed the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day and those who were running the whole system and religion of Judaism as they knew it. He's denounced them as hypocrites. He's challenged them to come and to get right with God. And the climax of all of that, do you remember last week, is the grief-stricken lament that we hear from Jesus as he is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And the sorrow that we hear in Jesus' heart is because he knows that he has tried many times to gather those people to himself. But he says, but you would not. I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers those chicks, but you wouldn't come. And the sorrow in his heart is not just because he wants relationship with them, although it is that, It's because he knows what's coming. He knows that it's not going to be too far down the line when that whole city and that whole system of Judaism and all the experiences of the Jews and their relative freedom that they had at that time was going to be taken away and that those people would be lost because they didn't get hold of the living God when they had the opportunity to. They didn't get hold of the Saviour Jesus who would have been able to bring them through that difficult time that was coming. 
So he's denounced those things, but they haven't started to happen quite yet. And then in the first verses of this chapter that we've read today, we hear Jesus plainly say, this temple that represents all that you are as a people, Israel, Jews, the Jews and Judaism, it represents all that you are as a people, it's coming down says Jesus in those first couple of verses. Not one stone here is going to be left on another. And he prophesies many other difficult things for his own followers and for the Jews who didn't yet follow him and other nations living in and around Jerusalem at the time. He goes on to prophesy difficult things because the world as those people knew it was about to change. Everything was about to come crumbling down. But at the same time as that was ending, at the same time as the temple was crumbling um, metaphorically and was going to be destroyed in not too long a time, something new and something beautiful and something that was full of good news was also beginning in Jesus. Jesus is very close now. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to defeat death and Satan and all the powers of hell on the cross and rise again in triumph, in resurrection. And he's about to ascend to the Father and be seated at the right hand of God and pour out his Spirit so that his people can live in that resurrection power and life. All of that is right on the brink. Something new was beginning a new relationship with God was going to be possible because Jesus was going to open up that way and uh, suddenly we were going to know what it meant to have a living relationship with God to know the Holy Spirit filling us so it wasn't just special people who knew God special leaders who wore fine clothes and fine robes who could know God personally every person that his spirit would be poured out on all flesh on sons and daughters and highborn and lowborn and slaves and free people everyone was going to know the Holy Spirit empowering them in their lives if they open their hearts to Jesus and uh, this life-giving vital relationship with God was going to be available it was beginning it was happening before too long they were going to see that kind of power released through the church so something was ending but something was beginning the old was on its way out the new was on its way in and there was an overlap And the contrast of those two kind of coexisting moments, if you like, can be seen in those first three verses that we read in the symbolic way that Jesus left the temple, kind of turned his back on it and walked over to the Mount of Olives that was opposite, walked up there and sat down and talked intimately and privately with his disciples there as they could see a great view of that mighty-looking temple and the city of Jerusalem from the outside. And I want us just to think for a moment about that contrast, that visual contrast between the temple and the mountain. Jesus left the temple and he went up the mountain. Because these two huge masses, if you like, big things... They represent something to us, a contrast. The temple is that picture of Israel's attempt throughout history to know their God. And for the Jews, all that they held dear about their religion was represented, bound up 
in that picture of the temple. Everything about their history, their laws, their culture, their worship, their spiritual experience, their status as a people, their political significance, their wealth was all tied up in that temple. But Jesus left that and he went to the Mount of Olives. And in the Gospels we find out that the Mount of Olives was a place where Jesus loved to go. And he would go there often and talk with his Father and pray and enjoy time with his Heavenly Father. He would gather his disciples there and spend time with them, teaching them, um, enjoying their company, allowing the Holy Spirit to work and move in those times together. You know, the triumphal entry began on the Mount of Olives, that great big celebration and praise march that they had as they marched down the mountain and into the city. And people were celebrating Jesus, Hosanna, the Saviour's here. He's here. The King is coming. It began on the Mount of Olives. And of course, we know Jesus went there just before his death to the olive grove, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he poured out his heart to the Lord. It was a place of intercession and calling on the Lord before the cross. And, and as Jesus turns his back on the temple and walks toward the mountain, and the garden on the mountain. It's like he's showing those disciples living in that time, living in that moment when all that they had hoped in and lived in and worshipped in and prayed in was about to crumble. He was saying, there's another way. There's an alternative spiritual life. It means coming with me back into the garden. It means walking away from the heavy, cold stones of religion and going through the motions, and status, and the outward stuff, the world's answers to the world's problems. It means turning your back on that and walking in to something that is living and alive. There are trees, and there's grass, and there's nature, and there's something that blooms. There's fresh air, there's growth. And in that place, you can have a spiritual life with God. And all the symbolism of that olive grove, the oil of healing and restoration, the power of my spirit that can flow. Come with me there, says Jesus. Don't get stuck in the old stuff that's crumbling away. Come with me there. Come back to the garden, the garden that we lost as human beings right back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden, in that intimacy, in that closeness, where they knew they were loved and they knew they were heard and they knew that God wanted to be with them and they didn't feel ashamed and they had a freedom and a sense of peace and fulfillment and life. That's what Jesus was calling them back to. Come to the garden. Come up the mountain with me. Come and enjoy a spiritual life that will hold you through the times to come. The temple's coming down, says Jesus, but come up the mountain with me. Find a life that lasts forever. And you know, those disciples, as they were listening to Jesus, they had a bit of a struggle. (coughs) They were thinking to themselves, but isn't there anything good in this old stuff, in the old order, in the stuff that is passing away. Isn't there anything good there to hang on to? You know, look at these beautiful stones, Jesus. 
in the temple. Look at this wonderful place that symbolizes for us the presence of God with his people. Look at it. It's good, isn't it? Isn't there something we can hang on to in that space? And they asked Jesus, well, when is it all going to happen? What's going to come next? They're troubled by Jesus' words because I guess they weren't quite ready to let go. Perhaps they're still wondering if Jesus might be the kind of saviour and might be the kind of Messiah who will save them for the old system, who will bring them the world's answers for the world's problems, who will sort things out in a worldly perspective kind of a way, through force and leadership and organisation and doing stuff differently and slaughtering everybody who doesn't agree. Perhaps something inside them still thought, Jesus, are you going to get these Romans off our backs or not? (laughs) So we could see this temple fully finished. It wasn't quite fully built yet. There's more glory that could come here. Jesus, isn't there anything in that that you want to do? Isn't there anything there that you want to salvage? But Jesus was encouraging them, got to turn your back and walk away from all of that, but walk with me. I know it doesn't look finished yet, but it's finished. And very soon it's all coming down. So don't put your faith and your hope in that. I felt very much that the Lord was saying that to some of us this morning. About the world's answers to the world's problems. There are all sorts of people who think they've got the solutions for the troubles we face in this world. But you know, in the end... Jesus is saying, don't put your faith and your hope in that. Because sooner or later it's going to crumble away. It may not look like it's crumbling now, but sooner or later it is. You've got to put your hope and your faith in me. Come to the garden and find life, real spiritual life. Not those cold stone answers. I wonder if Jesus is challenging some of us to walk away from the world and the world's answers to the world's problems. And all the sort of seemingly safe things that the world can offer us to make our lives feel protected. It's structures, things like jobs and ambitions and money and status and that kind of earthly power. Got to let go, not put our hope in that and walk up the mountain with him. It is a more exposed place. Might seem like there's less covering. You're there with the elements going, but Jesus is there. And it's safer where he is, and that's what he'd been calling to Jerusalem to do. And there are two questions here that the disciples ask as they're working out, as they live in this overlap time. How am I going to navigate this? Where am I going to put my trust? Where am I going to put my faith? They ask Jesus two really important questions. They say, okay, well, when is all this going to happen with the temple? When is that going to come down? They cared about that deeply. It's a massive part of their lives and history. And then they asked him, and when are you going to come again in your glory? When is the second coming? When is the end of the age going to happen? And for those disciples, those two questions, they were probably quite bound up together. They thought it would all go together. For them, the end of the temple would feel like the end of the world. They probably thought Jesus was going to talk um, about those things all together. But as Jesus answers, he makes really clear there's two questions here. The temple's going to come down. There's an answer to that one. 
And the end is going to come. There's an answer to that one. But it's further down the line in the future. And as we look at this chapter and as it's unpacked for us next week and the week after too, we're going to find Jesus addressing these two questions separately. And today we're going to look at the first part of the first answer. So we're thinking about their question, when will this temple be destroyed? Now Jesus doesn't give the disciples a date. Um, We all like prophecies that are that specific, wouldn't we? (laughs) Well, if they come true, anyway, we like them. But he doesn't give them a date. But actually we know, looking back at our history books, we know the date that the temple in Jerusalem did come down so that the stones were not left one on top of the other. And that date was 70 AD. So about 40 years or just under um, after the time that Jesus is talking with them, um, the whole thing collapses. And we know this from our historians like Josephus. We know that the trouble started probably in about 66 AD. If you think that Jesus here is speaking in probably about 33 AD when he died, by 66 there is trouble in Jerusalem. There are riots, there is violence, there are uprisings and outbreaks of violence all across that whole region of Judea mainly because of religious tensions that were going on between the Greeks who lived there, the Jews who lived there, and the Romans who were the ruling forces, supposedly keeping everything under control. And both sides, the Greeks and the Jews, they were angry. All of them were angry with the Romans because the Romans were not intervening on their behalf, they thought. So there were all sorts of tensions going on. The Jews felt they weren't being protected properly by the Romans, and they protested then by not paying their taxes, and so that the Romans got angry about that because if you don't pay your taxes you'll soon find that the the ruling forces are more interested in you than they would have been otherwise so the Romans come marching into the temple and they steal some of the talents from the temple and they take it for unpaid taxes and then the Jews are enraged by this sacrilege in their temple and they start to rebel and there's all kinds of uprisings going on starting from about 66 until it culminates in AD 70 when Jerusalem is attacked by the Romans because the Judeans have managed to throw the Romans out and they're holding their own kind of little makeshift rebel government and the Romans finally say, enough is enough. They come marching in, they seize control again, they set fire to the temple and the whole place is destroyed and there's a huge persecution that comes and people are fleeing from that city. And this is what Jesus is seeing and prophesying in these verses that we read today, verses 1 to 14. He's seeing that that's going to come in about 40 years' time, all of that political um, stuff that's going on, and he's calling those people, in the midst of all of this, come to me, listen to me, come up the mountain, be in that place with the Lord where you can have your spirit renewed and refreshed and where you can know the protection of my presence around you. And in those verses 4 to 14, Jesus' primary aim is to address his disciples, the first Christians, in other words, the first ones who are trusting in him and following him out of that old order and into the new through his death and resurrection. And he wants to help them know how to live in this overlap where the old system is still fighting to survive but the new one has not yet fully been revealed. And as he talks, Jesus kind of describes 12 features 
of this overlap time that those people were in in those historical times. I wonder if they sound a bit familiar (coughs) to us. Twelve things. When will the temple be destroyed? Well, Jesus says, here's some of the stuff that will be happening when that's about to happen. There'll be people arising with Messiah complexes. People saying, I am the Christ and deceiving people. There'll be wars and violence. We know that was true, as I've been saying historically in the time. There'll be shifting politics, nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. This one looks like they're in charge and then suddenly another one rises up and takes over. There'll also be famine and poverty, therefore, amongst the people. And again, we know from our historians of the time that there were lots of famines recorded um, throughout that period. There'll be earthquakes and natural disasters. There were at least three major earthquakes in those surrounding regions in that intervening 40 years from when Jesus prophesied this and the temple came down. Persecution and martyrdom of Christians Well, we know absolutely that that happened. We just have to read the book of Acts and we see all the ways that the Christians, the early Christians and the early church were persecuted by all kinds of people, by the Jews but also by Gentile nations. Hatred for Christians arising. And then people who were giving up on their Christian faith, who were falling away, letting go of Jesus. We know those things were true because we read our New Testament epistles, the letters that the apostles are writing to churches, encouraging them, don't fall away, hang on to your faith. Don't let these persecutions make you let go of Jesus. Christians turning on one another, betraying one another to the authorities, false prophets, who are saying all kinds of lies and deceptions in the church. We know from our um, New Testament writings, don't we, that there are lots and lots of warnings that came against false teachers, people who were not preaching Jesus, people who were preaching a different kind of message. Don't be led astray by them, say all of the apostles through the scriptures that we can read. There was lawlessness, so the streets felt full of chaos and crime and unrest. There were cold hearts in society because people didn't know how to respond to all the stuff that was going on around them and their hearts shut down and grew cold towards one another, cold towards God. These things were all happening. They were all features of that period that Jesus was prophesying about in the run-up to 70 AD when that temple would finally fall. But they also sound really familiar to us, don't they? When we think about our world today, it describes our age too, across the world. We can zoom in, if you like, on this passage and see what Jesus was saying to his disciples for that time, for those following 40 years. But we can also zoom out and see the same circumstances facing Christians of every generation as we live in the overlap of ages, in the overlap of these kingdoms where we know the goodness that's coming in, but we haven't seen the fullness of it yet. Where we see the kingdoms of this world shaking and tottering and falling around us. And we, we did put some hope in those things. We thought that if we elected this guy, he might help us. Or we thought if we voted for that party, that they might be the answer. Or we thought if we got that kind of a president in the States, then maybe things would change. And we thought and we tried and we hoped and we worried and things didn't turn out and we're feeling the shakiness, we're living in the overlap. What has Jesus got to say 
to us because he spoke some really encouraging words and instructions for those guys in their shaky overlap time. He told them four things that I want us to take hold of this morning as we go out into our overlap of ages that we live in today. He said, first of all, don't be deceived. Verse 4. How are we going to live in the overlap? Don't be deceived. Don't let your mind take on board stuff that just isn't true. And if we want to be people who think clearly and see truth and know that it's solid and good and life-giving because truth sets us free, it liberates us. Truth does not bind us up and make us feel confused and dark and trapped. Truth is liberating and freeing. If we live in truth, we will find a lightness in our spirit to live in these dark and difficult days. And if we want to be people who are not deceived, we need to soak ourselves in the truth of Jesus. And I really want to encourage us, people of God, because if there is a message on my heart for us this morning, perhaps it's this one, I think we need to soak in the truth more, brothers and sisters. We need to get back to our Bibles. I don't know how much we're reading them. We need to read our Gospels, especially, because we need to let Jesus flood in and fill and shape the way we think about the world, the way we think about our lives, the way we think about our relationships and the people around us. We need to learn how to worship Jesus in his word because we're called to worship heart, soul, mind and strength. That's holistic. So singing songs is a part of it, a definite and important part of it, but worship with our minds means looking at truth and letting it shape our thinking, understanding, having our minds transformed by truth. And I believe that the church in this nation needs to soak in the scriptures again. Not just any old way, but in Jesus in the scriptures. The living word. And that's why I say, read the Gospels. Worship Jesus as you read them. It will help you to open your heart. If we try to press into the spiritual realms without being anchored in Christ, the living word, we are going to lay ourselves open to deceptions of all kinds, to spirits of deception. There are a lot of those that fly around in this world today. But if we are anchored in Jesus, if we have soaked in his truth, we will not be deceived by his grace and by his help. Don't be deceived. Don't run off on other crazy spiritual sounding theories. Look at Jesus. Soak in him. Let him shape your mind if we want to live in the overlap of ages and live it well. Secondly, he says, don't be afraid. We must not live in fear. It's really easy to be afraid, isn't it? I don't know if you feel it like I do sometimes. I think there's a kind of creeping fear that's all the time being fed to us, you know, through what we see on the media, through what we watch on our news screens, the the troubles that we hear about all over the place 
It's like fear is hovering and wanting to get a hold of us. And we hear about um, a virus over here, or we hear about a war over there, or we hear about a crime over there, and we're fearful, we're worried, we start to get anxious and live in a place of anxiety. But we mustn't live in fear, says Jesus. Don't be afraid, he said. And you know, when Jesus speaks that to us, he releases faith and love and hope and we don't have to feel the fear. It doesn't mean we shut our ears to every bad thing that's happening in the world. We have to know about them. We have to live with, those, with the consciousness of those things. But we don't let the fear in and we do that by worship and listening to God. Those things are an antidote to fear. Because you see, faith comes by hearing, hearing what Jesus has to say to us. So if we make time to listen for his voice amidst all of the others, we'll find that fear doesn't get a hold on us. And worship opens up our hearts to receive the love of God and The scriptures say that it's perfect love of God that casts out fear in our lives. If you've let fear get in, open your heart and worship the living God because what happens is you get a vision of his greatness, a vision of his magnitude. You get filled with his power. You know that there is a living God who breaks in on the earth, that although the kingdom is not yet, it is now. We do see it. We do see him breaking through and suddenly faith starts to rise as we worship and see our living God in his glory and in his goodness. And whenever we start to feel overwhelmed and fearful as we live in the overlap of ages let's open our hearts come back to worship listen for Jesus' voice and we'll find that we've got strength to walk out into a new day last two things he says endure in verse 13 we've got to endure those who endure to the end will be saved so what does that mean for us? We've got to toughen up a bit, haven't we? In our spiritual lives. We've got to get a bit spiritually tougher, thicker skinned. We've got to be able to rise up when we fall down. Take a few knocks, hold steady when the pressure is on. Build up some spiritual stamina. You know, I was smiling because I was remembering how when I was a young teenager I heard some stories from a missionary about those who were being um, persecuted and tortured for their faith in other nations. And I remember it had a really deep impact on me at the time because in my heart I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't think I could do that. I couldn't go through the kind of persecutions and hostilities and sufferings that those people went through. I think I would give up. I might let go of you, Jesus, and I don't want to do that. And I remember as I'd kind of prayed that prayer as a young teenager, this is what I decided to do. My little spiritual exercise, if you like, was I had a pair of shoes that were really painful. They rubbed my heels and pinched my toes and I didn't wear them. And I decided I was going to wear those shoes every day for a week and that my feet would be in pain. But it would be a way of training myself in case I ever got tortured for the kingdom and for Jesus. And I know it's silly, it is silly, but it was my response in my heart, you understand, to what I'm talking about. I knew I had to toughen up somehow. How are you going to do this? You've got to toughen up. We can do it. We can do it better than that. We can find ways to increase our prayer lives 
You have to stretch them a few minutes longer. Keith Green writes a brilliant song. Pray a little bit longer, he says. Can we love a little bit stronger? Can we pray a little bit longer? We're not saying you suddenly have to go off and do a retreat for three months, but a couple, a few minutes more. Let's keep pressing in in prayer. Let's grow our stamina, push ourselves to get to the places where we will actually grow spiritually. Yeah, and we don't feel like going to the meeting. We don't feel like going to that gathering, but we push ourselves and we get there because we want to grow our spiritual stamina where we deny ourselves a little more. And as you're going to hear, that season of fasting that we're opening up for the movement of Ixus um, to come, maybe that's an opportunity for you um, as you listen to the Lord to grow your spiritual stamina, to deny ourselves a little bit more. These things will help us endure to the end. And now also we need to keep a good supply of the Holy Spirit in our lamps, don't we? <laughs> to keep us going to the end. We need to keep receiving His Spirit. Finally, I want to say Jesus said get the gospel to the ends of the earth this good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth as a testimony to the nations and then the end will come we've got to focus on the good news of the kingdom and our part in getting it out there to the ends of the earth with our words with our testimonies that we share to people with our prayers for those who are on the front line of mission and evangelism with our actions towards people with the demonstration of our lives that are full of love and full of Jesus in our relationships and the way we handle them giving glory to Jesus in our money and where we give it and how we spend it we need to think all the time about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth pushing the good news out because Jesus said that's what you've got to focus on if you want to live through the overlap of times and get through it with me and come and enjoy the beauty of that garden of spiritual life with God then you've got to hang on to the gospel of the kingdom and push it out into the world and very soon we will see the fullness of his beautiful kingdom coming in where there are no more tears at all and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more loss and no more death. That is the fullness of that kingdom. And if we do our bit and preach the good news to the ends of the earth, then he will come. He will come with all the fullness of that kingdom and we will see the beauty of it filling our earthly experience just as we hope for in the here and now. And I want to close just by praying for us this morning. So let's just be quiet before the Lord. <coughs> I think if we take those four things that I've been saying and really live them, we'll find we walk with a lot more confidence and a lot more faith in these uncertain times. And you know what? We'll also see more of the kingdom breaking in now because we're close to Jesus. So Lord Jesus, I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, I want to pray for any hearts or any minds here that have been deceived. We've listened to the wrong voices and we've gone off track. And in Jesus' name we pray that you would break the power of those deceptions and soak us again in the truth of who you are. 
and fill our hearts and our minds with that truth. Lord, I want to pray for any here this morning who have let fear into their lives and we know there's a fear that is oppressing us. And in Jesus' name, we cast out that fear. We cast out the spirit of fear from our lives, from our hearts, from our spirits, in Jesus' name. And we welcome in the perfect love of heaven that pushes it out. And we welcome in your voice that causes faith to rise. And Lord, we trust you. And we say again this morning, I choose to trust you, Lord. Not to fear, but to trust. And to hope in you. Lord, I pray for those of us who just need to toughen up our spiritual lives. Lord, give us fresh discipline. Give us fresh grace. Give us fresh oil of your Holy Spirit, Lord. To grow our spiritual lives. Not to be satisfied with them as they are, but to grow them. To go deeper with you. So that we can endure to the end. And Lord, I pray for a renewed love and energy for the gospel in this room. That our love will not grow cold in these days, but we will love you and live for you and speak for you and give for you every ounce of our being, Lord, for the sake of getting that good news out into this world. Lord, let that rise up and live in us again. Where we've lost focus of the gospel, bring it back into our sights again. Fill us, empower us, energize us with that task as individuals, but also as your body together here in Ichthus Forest Hill. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.